Hello again everyone, hello from a lovely Friday here in Melbourne and it's the 5th of November. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Well, it hasn't been forgotten because I'm still parroting it off. There are some more verses to that little ditty, of course, dear listener, and some really interesting anti-Catholic ones. Oh my gosh, the English is to get right into anti-Catholic sentiments at one stage. But anyway, I might tell you a little bit more about that and about Guido Fawkes a little later, in case you have forgotten the gunpowder plot. But in the meantime, I'll just remind you that this is Left After Breakfast, Here on 3CR, I'm Susanna, and the usual suspects, the rest of the team, will be along a little bit later. I know you'd like to hear from them, and thanks for all their emails and text messages, etc. And thank your mother for the rabbits. Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Thanks, Bagman. And listener, you may have noticed that I'm very fond of a melody called Bella Chow. And I have a a little version of it here. I have a lot of them at home. And this is by a group called, well, if I could pronounce it properly, Ndalovu. And they do music which is called African Pulse. I hope that's saying that correctly, with their African Pulse version of Bella Chow. It's a bit different, isn't it? You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. I see that Prince Andrew's lawyers have come up with a defence or at least something to try and stop this whole problem that he had going through the court. You remember poor Prince Andrew. 
He kept trying to avoid the summons by moving from place to place. Now, you or I, listener, if we wanted to avoid them knocking on the door and whacking the summons in our hand, well, we'd run out the back door and over the back fence and down the back lane, or we'd maybe run into the house of a friend, some mate we knew who lived nearby. Poor Andrew, of course, was forced to flee from castle to castle. <laughs> Had the people trying to serve a summons on him, knocking on the door of a castle in Scotland to be told, oh, no, 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 he's in Wales this week. They'd go to Wales, no, 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 he's in Suffolk this week. And then, oh, no, no, he's in Cornwall this week. He's on his brother's farm. When they get to the brother's farm, oh, no, no, he's back in Scotland. Well, they finally nailed him down, didn't they? And now, Prince Andrew's lawyers, and I bet you they're the top lawyers, mate, not like you and I would be able to afford, But his lawyers have put forward a 36-page memorandum of law in support of defendant's motion to dismiss. So his attorneys are now saying that Prince Andrew's rape victim, sorry, Prince Andrew's alleged rape victim, Virginia Jufra, searched for slutty girls to bring to dead financier, mind you, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't dead at the time, but he is now. They're also claiming that Virginia is actually after money. Well, let's be clear here. The only party to this litigation using money to his benefit is Prince Andrew. I don't know what made Andrew think he could dodge getting to the court. I don't know what made him think he could dodge getting a summons served on him. I mean, how entitled can you be? Well, I suppose if you're the baby son of the Queen, you know, you're the favourite, obviously, the darling one, the one that looks like her. But I still don't know who would have advised him to behave like that with lawyers. It's a very, very wrong move on his part. But frankly, very helpful to the people who are acting for Virginia Jufre. It's been a while, hasn't it, since we've heard that sort of thing from men who were accused of rape when they start talking about gold diggers and slutty girls. Times have changed, Andrew. Times have changed. What on earth is going to happen when the Queen kicks the bucket? I mean, she's getting on a bit now, and she hasn't been well of late. Will the whole British monarchy fall apart? That should be fun to watch. I don't particularly care about UK at all anymore. Not since this ridiculous submarine deal. No, really, not since they've had that clown, that friend of Smirko's in power there. Let's face it, really, not since Brexit. I've just given up on everyone in Britain. Bloody Brexit. Pure racism. Don't drink at the local Or have kippers for breakfast like me The food that they eat smells disgusting They'd rather drink coffee than tea It's true that their kids are respectful They gave me their seat on the bus But it's just that there's so many of them That I fear what'll become of us 
Before I forget, I want to let you know that I will be going up to Ballarat on Friday the 3rd of December to the commemorative service for Eureka Stockade. That will be at 8.30am. Now, you can come with me, listener. You can come on your phone virtually. I will be there with my phone sending a live stream to you and you can watch and hear and react to the service at the Eureka Stockade to honour those who died and who were involved in the rebellion. So I'm hoping to see you there. Just go to com slash Susanna. That's Hago, H-E-Y-G-O, Hago. 
hago.com slash Susanna, S-U-S-A-N-N-A. Text me, send me an email, or catch up with me on Facebook to check again how you can actually do that and come along with me to the Eureka Stockade Commemorative Service. From every corner of the world They came from all around When in 1851 They struck gold upon the ground Every voyage was a long one Months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune Others escaping slavery What they found on the gold fields Was ruled by brutish thugs Discrimination and taxation Mixed with swinging billy clubs The gold was getting scarcer And cops were getting worse The diggers burned their licenses And vowed to end this curse They swore an oath Beneath the southern cross They'd stand together And break the license laws From twenty different nations They gathered here as one In Ballarat Beneath the southern sun The crown tried to divide them Giving preference to some The diggers wouldn't have it They said it's all of us or none They built a stockade While the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting We're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers Who'd risen to the call They swore an oath Beneath the southern cross They'd stand together And break the license laws From twenty different nations They gathered here as one In Ballarat Beneath the southern sun thought it was over and things go their way but when 15,000 miners rallied a month later on the day the crown conceded everything all of their demands they'd want an end to license fees the right to vote and land so here's to Joe and Charlie Waller and the rest they drew the battle lines and put crown rule to the test. The diggers may have lost the battle, but they quickly won the day. And those shots fired in Victoria were heard 10,000 miles away. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations, they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the Southern Sun. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From twenty different nations they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the Southern Sun. So don't forget, listener, you can attend the Eureka Stockade Commemorative Service 
on Friday the 3rd of December on your phone with me or on your laptop with me or on your big desktop with me. Whatever device you have, I will stream it to you. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. 3CR And it's time to hear from Bucko. Ask Bucko, he'll tell ya. Scott Morrison has somehow imposed himself on the Australian consciousness like an annoying jingle or even like that awful and embarrassing uncle who continues to turn up at family gatherings. We can now include Rome and Glasgow amongst the places where he has purported to represent us so that most of the thinking universe now sees Australians as a kind of throwback to the types of characters made famous in The the Adventures of Barry McKenzie of our uh, cultural cringe. His personality is endlessly grating like the boy with a chip on his shoulder. He's always looking for the verbal trap and his pugnacity is more suited to a rugby field than to a conference. Talk about being labelled by how you look and by how you speak. Many of us expected him to grow into the job, as some have in the past, but he's permanently stuck in a battle to the death with the forces of liberality, of reason and social and political progress. We're endlessly naive in Australia in that we believe in the inherent fitness for purpose of our institutions and the innate moral character of our representatives. Morrison has upended our moral certainties because he is without conscience, without memory and without a policy purpose. He also lacks a stabilising presence in his life. His friends include Brian Houston, who is under investigation and sidelined from leadership of his father's church for allegedly covering up, covering up his father's sexual abuse of children. Stuart Robert, who has seen time on the sidelines himself, because of his own problems with record-keeping and conflicts of interest, and Alex Hawke, a man who believes that the two greatest forces for good in human history are capitalism and Christianity, and when they're blended, it's a very powerful duo. The Sydney Morning Herald uh, reported him saying that, so that's fairly scary when you think about it. The Cabinet. We've all heard about Scott Morrison's Cabinet, mostly because they're almost invisible, They're constantly changing roles and also because the Cabinet seems to have no coherence, no sense of passion for governing and only one defining rule. Follow Morrison and repeat his talking points until your voice hurts. So no minister is respected, no minister is seen as being on top of his or her portfolio, no minister is seen as a rival to Morrison and the agenda is virtually non-existent. It gets down to cut the public service to the bone, sling cash at the world's largest consultancies, privatise every possible service and watch it slide into decay and despair. Look after your mates. Never apologise if in doubt call an inquiry. Ignore the the vast majority of recommendations from the myriad royal commissions afoot and for God's sake do not introduce a federal integrity commission. Never admit that you once knew Christian Porter, 
but defend to the death his right to accept large amounts of money from anyone as long as he promised to not divulge and continue to demonise all refugees except possibly white farmers from South Africa. The Glasgow Performance Morrison's performance in Glasgow and Rome was pathetic. He behaved like a thug, first of all by arriving in both cities with nothing to show the other leaders for the six long years since we signed up to Paris. As unashamedly as he had presented us with empty brochures, he did the same to them. Like us, they were underwhelmed, but too polite to really say so. Take it as read that our country has taken another reputational hit. And don't forget Angus Taylor. He delivers misleading statistics and rubbish conclusions with a passionate fervour. His background as a management consultant sees him with only one forward gear, manic, and no reverse gear. He was actually in Glasgow dealing with the other rogue nations, promoting fossil fuels for use far into the future. It's totally amazing that Morrison and Taylor were running this scam even as the world watched. The French fiasco. Emmanuel Macron is still reeling from Morrison's clumsy lack of style. First he meets with the French and deceives them until, at the last moment, he dumps them for the Americans and the British. So, knowing how the French feel personally about him, Scott Morrison takes the first opportunity to speak to Macron by sneaking up behind the French president and touching him from behind unannounced. Very like that annoying uncle I mentioned earlier. And laying on of hands, not cool Scott, we generally seek consent before touching one another. Later, Mr Macron asserts that Morrison is a liar and instead of turning the other cheek, after all Macron was speaking the truth, he argues the point and then selectively leaks some texts supposedly strengthening his position. So we are in Glasgow with the world watching and Morrison is behaving as if he is involved in a factional turf war in Sydney, backgrounding his opponent, who is, did I mention this already, the President of France. Do not believe for a moment that Morrison has had a change of heart. He wants only one thing, and that is re-election. Nothing else matters, and he will subvert COP26, Parliament, his own government, and even Sky News if he has to. The climate change policies he has pretended to create are meaningless, and his government knows it. Thanks for listening. Yes, and you can find Bucko at markbuckleymedia.com. Take the bread from off my plate But you can't break me 
Lock me out, chain the gates, put black shirts in with dogs and mace. I'll hold the line, won't step away, cause you can't break me. I belong, you belong, we belong to the union. Don't count me out when I'm on the floor, we'll win again, we've won before. The streets will ring with a mighty roar, cause you can't break me. Stocks rise up on workers' backs. Profits soar while you hand out the sack. Boardroom bullies bloated and fat, but you can't break me. Australia's sold to mates offshore. Backroom deals and shonky law. This day has come, we say no more. You can't break me. I belong, you belong, we belong to the union. I belong, you belong, we belong. I swear I'll never lay down and die. I'm in the union, mate, got a right to belong. We'll be back, millions strong, women and men united as one. Cause you can't break me. There's a warning here to the men in grey. The pipers come, it's time to pay. We're taking back what you stole away. Cause you can't break me. And it's coming on to that time of day, listener, that we round up that oh-so-elusive bagman. I'll find him for you. Hold on. Well, bagman, good morning to you. Good morning, Susan, and good morning to all your listeners. Now, this morning, I am fit to be tied up. I am so happy. I'm as fit as a melly bull, and uh, nothing's going to... Uh, Get in my way today. But by way of a disclaimer, we have to, because of COVID, report or record this program two days before it goes to air on Friday. But I'm a very, very happy man today. Now, I heard this news on Wednesday and it said, well, something that will go down in the annals of Australian history. My name is Chloe. Um, that will be repeated many, many, for many, many years to come because they've found that young girl, Chloe Smith, who is Cleo. Cleo, is it? Cleo. Oh, Cleo. Right. Well, it doesn't matter. She, she's alive. Um, and uh, after 18 days, now, People can be critical of the police, and they have been very critical of the police here in Victoria, you know, the ones that get spat on their bottles of urine, playing at them and bricks and whatever. But you have to admire 
um, the uh, the, uh, the uh, Western Australian police, their perseverance to last 18 days without giving up on this young lady um, who has now been found. One million dollars reward. Oh, well, I hope someone collapsed the one, do- one million dollars reward. So do I, but someone obviously told them because otherwise why would they break down the doors of a house at 1am? Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that's happened. But we are sometimes very critical of the police and I've had my issues with them over the years, but they are the first people you call when you're assaulted, um, when you're robbed, uh, when you have your car pinched or whatever. No one throws bottles of urine at you then. Nobody spits in your face. And some of those people that spat on nurses, well, you know, less than human. And the other immortal saying that will go down in history in Australia, and it came from Emmanuel Macron, um, the president of France, when he spoke about did... Scott Morrison, a lie to you. And he said, I don't think I know. So we'll take it straight out of uh, Emmanuel Macron's mouth that um, that uh, Scott Morrison is a liar, the liar from the Shire. He is indeed. Of course he lied. Well, he's a total embarrassment to the, uh, to the country at the moment. And... He says that France is uh, sledging Australians. Well, they're not sledging Australians. They're sledging uh, people such as him and the government he leads. We know he lied. I went on about it a few weeks back. Now, I'm not on the side of nuclear submarines. I'm not on the side of submarines at all. What do we need them for? And I've certainly had my problems with France. I don't forget our Pacific uh, Islands and nuclear tests there. I don't forget the photographer being murdered. That's right. Things I don't forget, but hell, I know that in this case, this was just a disgusting act by Morrison and his government that they reneged on a deal, cost a lot of money, this deal. And then how did Macron find out? He read it in the newspaper. Yes, and even Joe Biden and Sleepy Joe, we know he's got his problems, but he's a lot better than the other whacker that was there before him. Even oh. he admitted that the uh, negotiations were clumsy. Clumsy, well, that's one way of putting it. Though Biden said he didn't realise that Morrison had not told the French. He said he assumed that Morrison had told Macron what was going on, but of course he didn't. Yeah. And to read about it in the newspaper, it's like it's like you're going to get married next month, and then you wake up one morning and you pick up the paper and you read in the paper that your fiance is going to marry someone else that afternoon. Oh, oh right, never thought of it that way, Susan. It's never ever happened to me and now look i've got to tell you if you want some riveting listening there are some things going on in new south wales and there are some things going on here in victoria 
Now, on New South Wales, they've got the Independent Commission Against Crime, where uh, the the ex-Premier has been fronting up uh, day after day and embarrassing herself um, about the deals she'd done with Dodgy Darrell. Now, Dodgy Darrell was probably a bit of a rotten root anyway, but, uh, you know, who look, I want to know. Someone whispered in Glad's ear. So someone whispered, resign now because they've got you on toast and they've got you uh, on the seat of recordings and they've got your ex-partner, Dodgy Darrell, um, getting $170 million out of you for pork barreling. Um, Jesus, good, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. No, well, you know, um, it's the same thing here in Victoria. And I advise people um, to go to their search engine and just put in IBAC, I-B-A-C, and you'll hear about the branch stacking, the fraud that's been going on in electoral offices of the Labor Party. Now, don't get us wrong. We are not anti-Labor, but we are anti-faction and we are uh, uh, anti-branch stacking by feudal ethnic warlords. All the names have been brought out the last couple of days. Michael de Bruyne from the famous de Bruyne family who worked for Marlene Carews. Uh, There's been Stephen Conroy, Adam uh, Summerack and whatever. Now, not saying anything about the guilt or whatever. We leave that up to the commission. But the uh, the the blast from the past was in today's evidence about George Seats. Now we know poor old George has passed on, uh, so we don't want to be ungrateful to the dead. We don't want to say bad things about the dead. But when it comes to branch stacking, George Seats was the king of branch stacking. Um, Now, Marlene Carews, according to, allegedly, uh, now leads that that branch stacking uh, kingdom, as it should be called. As I said, not anti-Labor, but anti-branch stacking. This, the, the, the working class movement does not belong to one or two politicians. It doesn't belong to one or two people. The, the working class movement is just that. It's a movement and it belongs to everybody. And trade unions and ALP uh, uh, officials, uh, politicians, have no right to interfere in that movement for their own uh, power base. Sometimes I really don't know what's going on, Bagman. Oh, well, you know, I, I advise people to listen to IBAC, get them on, the, on their computer, stream it, and you'll see the evidence that's been given about forgery and about branch stacking, but we, we make no allegations at all. We will leave that up to the 
the uh, independent commission. Um, but, you know, if you leave it up to them, what's ever going to happen to them, you know? And good to hear this year, this uh, week, Susan. You know that uh, only 5 million people have died from the flu. Yes, uh, 5 million people have died from the, and I put inverted commas here, the flu, because that's how it was described by Donald Trump. That's how it was described by Alan Jones. Don't worry about this. It's not deadly. It's just like the flu. So I've got my my tongue firmly planted in my cheek when I say five million people have died from the flu. And five million people, that's just the people we know about. How many people in third world countries, people in countries that haven't been able to get any vaccine uh, to, uh, to keep them alive or safe, how many people I think we could probably multiply that by two? <sighs> really is a... I don't know. I'm going to go to... Oh, I'm, I'm just uh, fiddling with my computer at the moment, Susan, and... Uh, it, uh, I've got to say, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably the fact checker on uh, on uh, Facebook. Now, and another thing, bad man, yeah, could, you, sure. could you turn off that radio that you've got oh, going? I've got the races going, Susan. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. And uh, I've got the races going because I do have five bob each way. Uh, once a year. Oh, and, uh, wait till you get your cashless welfare card. Oh, I won't be able to do that again. I kept calling it in last week's program uh, the cashless credit card. It is not. It's a cashless debit card. And yeah. it's going to affect every pensioner in this country when they find out that their, their payments, their fortnightly payments are going to be quarantined um, and they won't be able to, well, I don't know what they'll think, but uh, I think there will be the mass uprising of every pensioner in this country if they try and introduce that. Um, yes. I'm sorry, I've got the phone going. I've turned the television down, but I've got the phone going. Now, as I was saying, there'll be a mass uprising uh, against this government if they try and quarantine payments for pensioners who have worked all their life, who have brought up families, who have paid taxes, who have obeyed the law when they tell you what you can do with the money that you have saved up over the years. Paid taxes for at least 40 years, remember? Well, at least 40 years, uh, Susan, at least 40 years. Um, in my case, uh, I've been a member of the working class for now 55 years. There you go. Um, yeah, I started when I was 14 and probably gives away my, my age. But while they're trying to do that, JobKeeper payments worth $38 billion. That's a million. That's billion went to employers 
uh, that did not suffer sustained lockdown um, below the threshold levels. Now, apparently $38 million went to people that did not earn it. Now, I'm fully in support of governments that are going to keep people uh, in work. Um, we don't want to see mass unemployment. We don't want to see people out of work. But $38 billion. And can you tell me what $38 billion is? Yes, is I can. Okay, right. $1 billion is $1,000 million. $1,000 million. And they've got all that in the in the tin tank, have they? $38 billion. And the thing that really depresses me about this season is that the people that were crying uh, the loudest and moaning the loudest, the whinging loudest, were the people that were given uh, this uh, JobKeeper payments. You know, I talk about people in the hotels, restaurants and catering industry where we know how many wage thieves have come out of that uh, out of that uh, industry. Now, I would have thought that if governments are going to give subsidies to employers, what they should have done first was make sure that the, employ the employers were going to hand the money over to the people that work for them and to secondly make sure that the people, that the, the workers working for those employers were being paid the legal minimum uh, wage plus overtime, superannuation and whatever. Why well, would they? They saw a chance to get some free money and to pay out a nice big dividend to their shareholders. That's right. People like, uh, what's your mate, Harvey Norman? Norman oh. Hardly normal. That something. bloody Jerry Harvey, what a pig of a man. <laughs> oh, he loves the um, unemployed, uh, doesn't he? Uh, yes, he's, he doesn't believe in paying out welfare because it only continues the whole stupid business. He said, why pay them? Yeah, well, maybe I'll come and buy a couch off him or buy some furniture. Now, buy nothing, buy nothing from them. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't bought anything from um, Jerry Harvey well, no. ever. But if I didn't want to, what did I want to buy from him for? I'd rather go to another firm. That's right. And we're not into community boycotts, Susan. Oh, we I am. Want, we wouldn't want to try and influence our no. readers, uh, our listeners, that they should not uh, go to Jerry Harvey's or Hardly Normal's uh, to buy anything at all. Yeah, no, uh, no, I'm not suggesting that we boycott Harvey Norman. I'm just saying that I have myself. Not bought anything from there. No, I've made the same decision myself, Susan. Mm. Now, talk about something, something that comes back to bite you on the arse. Um, we've seen that loudmouth uh, politician from the Liberal Party, Tim Smith, um, and Tim Smith crashed his nearly new Jaguar uh, after smashing into another car and into a house, and he'd been picked up, uh, and he's lost his licence 
for 12 months. Now, he issued a statement this week. My heart goes out to poor Timmy. He said, last night I made a serious error of of judgment. After dinner with friends, I believed I was under the legal limit to drive home. Now, this bloke is a member of parliament. He was almost three times over the limit um, when he crashed his car. Uh, he says he was breath tested and returned a positive reading. Well, why wouldn't he? He's almost three times over the legal limit. And he says, I apologise to my constituents, my colleagues, my family and the people of Victoria who expect their legal elected representative to uphold the highest standards of behaviour. Now, take into account, Susan, and enough's been said about him, uh, that this man was the attorney, uh, 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 the shadow attorney general. Well, he won't be the elected representative of some people much longer, will he? Well, he says that he's got support from his federal comrades. Really? Yes. That's uh, not what they say. Well, he's got support. He's saying, well, I hope you're not, suggesting he's not telling the truth. Oh, would I suggest such a thing? I think he's um, misconstrued the actual facts. As Mm. John Howard used to say, non-factual statement. Yeah, a non-core promise. (laughs) I like the non-factual. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, he says he's got support from his federal comrades. I'd like to know who they are. Because um, if you want to support some an attorney, a shadow attorney general that goes out to break the law, who gets into a car, pisses a maggot, uh, and drives and causes an accident that could have killed somebody, then I don't know where he's getting his support from. Yeah, it makes me remember a premier of Victoria. Do you remember Bolchi? Oh, do I ever? Yeah, I was only a young, uh, young bloke in those days, but I remember Henry Bolte. You remember the road he had built from Melbourne up to his farm? Yes, and I remember the 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 accident that he had that killed somebody too. And what happened to his blood tests? Well, it went missing. They Perfect. got lost, yes. It went missing. Well, you know, in a busy hospital when you've got people who are who have just been killed in a car accident, probably bleeding all over the joint. Of course, these things will go astray. I'm glad you think that. I thought the hospitals were much better organised. But anyway, I think think there's still a fridge in a hospital somewhere with a label on it saying Bolte's fridge. Put nothing in here. They've they've made a monument of that uh, refrigerator. (laughs) It is... Henry Bolte's fridge. Now, now getting to something personal, Susan, I'm sorry to do this. I know that you're going to be troubled by what I say, but Collingwood star Gordon, Jordan Degui, I think it's Degui, it should be Degui now, has enlisted a powerful New York firm to help keep him out of jail on a day, teammates began to question why he has found himself in trouble again. 
Now, I know that you, you, you bleed black and white, Susan, but uh, he's apparently engaged. He must have plenty of money. He must be plenty of money in football. Uh, a team of lawyers who have um, represented mafia victims, political figures, and was engaged by mo- movie mogul Harvey Wernstein when oh. he was charged with rape. Now, wouldn't you think you'd stay away from a legal firm like that? Oh, well, I wouldn't mind getting their phone number. When next, <laughs> next time I'm, I'm in trouble, I'll get them. Well, you know, apparently this firm of lawyers um, has also represented, and you know this, JZ, Porn, uh, Zorn, P.D. Giddy Coombs, and whatever. So they've represented the cream of the crop. But not trying to get too personal, Susan, but I would want to know how he flew out of Australia when most of Australia was locked down. Oh, here we go again. He Bloody... flew out of Australia to attend a training camp. Well, obviously, the night on what he got when he got arrested, he was he was doing a lot of training, but it wasn't about football. <sighs> uh, look, I I've given up on them. With well, them flying yeah. around the place, you know, getting in and out of these bloody sportsmen. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the well, we spoke about Novak Djokovic. Uh, last week, and uh, I don't think he'll be coming to Australia. Because, He'd better not. He'd better well, not. Dan Andrews has said he will not grant an exemption for someone like no- Novak Djokovic. And they are the elite. They're people that think the tennis crowd owe them a living. Well, no, they don't. And I think, by the way, tennis is probably the most boring sport in the world except for watching paint dry oh i'd quite like the tennis but i tell you what i'd like this i'd like to see Djokovic land um at melbourne airport and be held there be put held. In the quarantine they're mm. not allowed to leave the the particular area where you get off the plane in uh. fact you take lock him up somewhere there and say yeah. sorry you can't come in and let him yeah. rave and rant. Yeah, but VIPs like that, they have the they have the ear of government um, and they can conjure up all sorts of things. But I'm not too sure of the time, Susan, because I can't see the town hall clock, the Coburg town hall clock. But if you're on a casual job at Christmas, the body shop is the, way, the place you need to go. You know why? Because why? They don't do a, re- a resume, they don't do a reference or a background check or even an, edu- an education check. Instead, they'll ask you three simple questions to get this job. Are you legally authorised to work in Australia? Number one. Can you lift up to 11 kilograms? Number two. And are you happy to work with customers? To now, work with, sorry, what's the third one? To work with customers. That's, and lifting 11 point. kilos. Yeah, what's 11 kilos? You can do that with one hand. Uh, but it's, 
It's it's like the old days, Susan. Remember the old days when you go for a job? The only question the boss would ask you was, how's your back? Yeah. They didn't ask anything else. So body shops going down that same road, they're not going to ask about your past. They're not going to ask whether you just come out of jail and no one will give you a job. And they're not going to... Uh, all they're asking is that you're happy to work with customers. Yeah, well... I, I'd be right in there. <laughs> you, you would be. You would be, of course. But, yeah. Bagman, I am going to look out my window at all the right. Collingwood Town Hall clock in okay. a minute. But I have to ask you something. Sure. I want you to help me understand something. Mm-hmm. You know... I've never seen a Mallee bull. <laughs> I've heard about them. Yes. I've heard, I've heard lots of things about the Mallee bull, but I've <laughs> never seen one. Oh, well, you'll have to Google one, Susan, but Mallee bulls are big bulls and they've got big balls and they've got big appendage. So, really? No, that's not me. I'm just saying... That's what Mallee bulls look like. But you just said you were as fit as a Mallee bull. Well, well, in myself I'm as fit, but I don't look like a Mallee bull and I have no of the attributes of a Mallee bull. Well, before we get any further into that, my dear, <laughs> I'm just looking out the window at the Collingwood Town Hall clock and, gosh... It looks like it's that time again. Oh, um, let's go out the same old way, Susan. Why not? Dare to struggle. And dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from us after breakfast. Yes, good morning from us. And thanks again for coming along. Thanks for the ride. I really enjoy putting a program together, knowing that I have at least three listeners no I have a couple more than three I think I have 11 but that's fine 11 I'm quite happy with that but good on you for listening and we'll catch you again same time same place next week